0: Thanks for joining us on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for today's episode comes from Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters located up the Gun Flint Trail.
1: Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters offers boundary waters and Quetico Wilderness canoe trips, as well as lakeside cabins. A full service canoe outfitter with direct access to three boundary water entry points Tuscarora has served Gumflint Trail visitors since 1935. Choose from a selection of Winona, Soros River, and North Star Kevlar canoes for your next trip. For those headed to Quetico Provincial Park, Knife or Otter Track Lakes, or the Granite River, Tuscarora's towboat service on Saganaga Lake saves you six hours of paddling and gets you to your wilderness destination fast. At Tuscarora's home base on Round Lake, Enjoy bunkhouse accommodations and all-you-can-eat French toast breakfast and hot showers. That's Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters, 47 miles up the Gunflint Trail on Round Lake. More information at TuscaroraCanoe.com.
2: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast.
3: This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then
2: you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
3: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before.
4: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it was really cool, it was my first time.
3: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with with no
4: packs, with with only a day pack, Uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue Welcome to Episode 3
3: of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. So today we're going to be hearing a really unique story about traveling the Boundary Waters in a little different way. Most people think about paddling in the Boundary Waters. Well, this story is all about backpacking. Nice. And in our second section, we're going to be hearing from an expert in winter camping, uh, and also the uh, handcrafter of snow trekker tents.
0: Yeah, nice wall tents, canvas wall tents that are used in the Boundary Waters. Exactly. Nice. So yeah, the you mentioned the Border Out Trail, Matthew, that we'll, we'll be hearing about today. It's a sixty-five mile trail, largely through the Boundary Waters, up off the kind of runs parallel to the Gunflint Trail, and. You ever been up there and, and hiked around on that thing?
3: I have been, Joe, and it is a beautiful way to travel. And so often when I think of traveling the boundary waters, you know you have this view from a canoe on the lake. So you're looking up at all these amazing ridge lines and vistas. But on the border route trail, you're looking from those ridge line and vistas and seeing the ex- true expansiveness of the boundary waters.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of the best photographs that appear in um you know more of the national magazines like maybe a backpacker or outside magazine some of these uh some of those photos that appear in these magazines are often from the border Out trail with looking you right. know the fall colors where it's not just uh, the lake of course that's its own beauty but when you're up above as you're mentioning some of that that expansive view it's just amazing and, and the border Out trail year round is great uh but yeah, so what's what are we going to hear about in, in the upcoming episode here?
3: So we're going to be hearing from Brenda Pikarsky, an independent filmmaker from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and Allison Young, a DJ for NPR Classical. And they're going to be sharing their firsthand experience of through-hiking this trail. So I think with that, we should hand it over to them.
0: Yeah, we'll just we'll just turn over the whole episode to Brenda and Allison.
3: Boundary Wars Podcast, taking over.
2: hey there so i'm brenda Pikarski, and we are here to talk to you today about the border route trail and i'm here with my hiking partner
5: hiker a allison young so I've done a ton of thru-hiking, but this was my first time thru-hiking with a girlfriend.
2: Yeah, Yes, which I was very honored to be able to <laughs> go with her. And this was my very first thru-hike at all. So mm. yeah, I've had a little bit of backpacking experience. I think four short three-day things all in Minnesota. Um, but this was my first thru-hike.
5: So we chose September 2017 to thru-hike the border route, or is it route? trail. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> and, I guess it depends where you're from. <laughs> I mean, partially it's because I've already done the SHT and it just felt like it was something uh, to extend to that. There weren't as many people there. It's more remote. Um, it's also quieter, which I loved.
2: Yeah, there were definitely a lot of reasons to do it. All of those, um, for sure, the remote, the location, the, the, the beautiful scenery of the boundary waters. Uh, for myself, it was a really good opportunity to get out in some backcountry with a partner that I could rely on and know, feel safe getting to the other end of the trail. So that was exciting.
5: Totally. But that remote part kind of uh, was a little bit of a problem because it's way up the Arrowhead Trail mm-hmm. from Grand Marais. And I just want to like capitalize all caps way up the Grand um, Arrowhead Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to think about how you're going to get there and if you're doing a thru-hike, obviously, you're going from one side to the other. So you have to get a shuttle. And my loving husband yes. shuttles Richard. us. Yay, Richard. So we had a car at the end. Uh, we went from east to west. And then he took us and dropped us off. And actually, I think at the when he dropped us off, he came running out. he's like, you guys forgot something. Oh, he did.
2: He, come chasing, he, came, he came chasing down the trail <laughs> after us. He was like, you <laughs> forgot this. I can't even remember what the item was.
5: It was like uh, the pages that we had ripped out of the book that we didn't use.
2: OK, yes. <laughs> (laughs) Yes. So we actually, when we were planning the trip, actually scheduled time in to drive up to Grand Marais in time to be able to stop and pick up the permit. Ended up spending the night in Grand Marais the night before, which was actually really nice to have that little bit of reprieve and connect and kind of get all our stuff together. And then took a half a day on a monday morning to basically do all the shuttling to drop one car off at the west end and then head over to the east end and get started so we really only had a half a day of hiking on the first day just a couple
5: of general pro tips about the introduction Um, you need a boundary waters permit for sure because you hike through wilderness Um, and also A couple of things we packed. We took a Garmin, which um, has a GPS and also has a spot locator beacon, which is kind of nice to have. Um, It's a little little spendy, but it was fun to have my husband and um, Brenda's son, too, get to Mm -hmm. follow us, and they could see the tracking, and it was really kind of fun. Rain gear is absolutely essential. I took my water pump and dromedary um, because some sites are not near water. And that's a really important thing to remember because if you're not near water, you got to carry it all there. And if you mm-hmm. only have one small container, <laughs> you have to make a lot of trips.
2: Yeah. And I would also add to that Garmin experience that for me, it was it's always a little unnerving for me to be away from my child for many days in a row without any sort of reception or connection. So I think about mid trip, we ended up messaging and, and checking in and he was able to message back. And that was a huge peace of mind for myself. Yeah, it was so, super sweet. Yeah, it was a great it was a great thing to have on the trip. He was kind of like, why are you writing me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm fine, Mom. <laughs> so what happened day one? So we kept a little journal every day. At the end of the day, we would just kind of write down very quickly some of the things that were memorable so that we could basically remember them at the end of the trip. So this was day one. Cloudy, no rain. Rained on drive over. Thunder after dark. Muddy, lunch at random picnic table. Tuna, (laughs) cheese, chocolate-covered almonds. Mmm. So many overlooks, including end of the Superior Hiking Trail, beautiful exclamation point, running pants, gaiters, boots, sports bra, thin long sleeve, base layer, equals good in all caps, rain pants and hat were too much, two crazy bridges, huge moose tracks, camped next to Pigeon River, great little landing right next to the Rapids, cheesy potatoes with peas and corn for dinner, thanks to Hiker A., Yum! Can't wait for tomorrow, 50 to 60 degrees.
5: It was a really beautiful first day. I mean, we had just kind of like that hanging rain look. And I didn't realize at the end of the Superior Hiking Trail... Or the beginning, I guess, depending on which way you're going, is part of the border route. So we saw like five people going in or something with big backpacks. I thought they were going to be with us the whole time. I was kind of giving them the evil eye, but they were they were going down the Superior Hiking Trail. So we got to this big overlook and it was really beautiful and everyone's taking pictures. And then you know, and the trail looked really great. And then we turn and we see where our trail is, which just was this little tiny like break in the bushes. Yes. I
2: thought oh the moment of truth. was the moment of truth. Moment of truth. <laughs> and then also when we. We were up on the first overlook I mean it was kind of jaw-dropping and so beautiful oh. and I just we were thinking where do they, where does this go from here like this is amazing mm-hmm. and you're so, <laughs> so high
5: you can't believe how high you are above yes above yeah everything. I was Huge absolutely
2: climbs. surprised by the all the elevation and elevation yeah. changes in fact before we went on the trip I've done this pre-hiking trail a few times and I remember wondering to myself hmm I wonder the border route trail is going to be more flat than the Superior Hiking Trail. I think a little part of me was maybe hoping, and that definitely was not the case.
5: Yeah, a couple of so, pro tips about that then is uh, for sure you need gators. I was just, it was kind of like we weren't sure. We sort of said, what do you mm-hmm. think? Should we take gators? They were awesome because you're rubbing against all of these bushes pretty much all the time. They're in the trail. Mm-hmm. And if they just have any moisture on them, it gets all over you. That was mm-hmm. really cool. I think your running yeah. pants. Was My already... running
2: pants were great because they dried really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was misty at the start. So it was Pretty misty, rainy, basically for about the first three days, two and a half days. And then it slowly got progressively better, but nothing ever dried.
5: Brenda mentioned going to this little kind of rando place. It was it was a it's the only picnic table on the entire trip. And um, it, you could camp there. It just seemed a little wet and it seemed a little soon in the day. So we ate there. Um, tuna. In those little packets mm-hmm. that they have, Starkist, and then you put the mayonnaise, little packets. They last forever. You can take them on a backpack trip. Mm-hmm. So good. And the little cheeses, the baby bells. The baby bell cheeses.
2: Oh. And if you mix mustard in with the mayo. Oh, yeah. You have to have oh,
5: mustard. So, so good. <laughs> you are so hungry on a backpacking trip. There was one other thing I wanted to say, a little pro tip, is we saw tons of beautiful fungus, mushrooms, and... Some of them look like gummy bears. They were so bright and beautiful. And so here's a little pro tip for any backpack trip you take take pictures of things you see because you may not see them again.
2: Yeah, exactly. We were passing so many mushrooms that we kept thinking, oh, we're going to be walking by these for the next, I don't know, 60 miles? We have plenty of time to take pictures of these mushrooms. Mm -mm. Um, Nope. So the first (laughs) couple days, and, you know, it was a little bit cooler and rainier, so we were kind of more just in go mode. So we didn't take as many pictures thinking we had time, but... Huh, hence, yes, as the trail progressed, the the mushrooms started to kind of go away, which was kind of sad, but it was, we did get a few pictures, so that was good. Yeah, so that first day, we went, to, I don't know, we what do you think, about eight miles? Something like that, yeah, and to we actually River. Yep, and we found a great little camping spot, which actually on the map, I believe, was a Marked as a potential camping spot Not an actual camping (laughs) spot We made it a camping spot It It (laughs) wasn't very obvious to say the least But it was wonderful It was a little landing next to the rapids Mm. And it felt very kind of safe and secure It was down a little hill and nice and flat Lots of trees to hang Our items So that was the end of Day one Day two Woke up in the rain, hiked in the rain Soaking wet but fairly warm Feet soaked, cloudy and cool all afternoon. It stopped raining around noon, then misty, tired after 13 miles, drank all the scotch. The clouds parted just enough to see the moon crescent for a moment. That was
5: quite a day. (laughs) We're looking at a picture right now of Brenda walking ahead of me, which we kind of were in um, single file because it's such a narrow trail. And she has this, like, giant pack covering that looks like like a hefty garbage bag. It looked like I was carrying a hefty garbage bag. Swallowed up by all of the trees and the bushes and everything. But you're just cruising along. I mean we were going up and down and up and down, beautiful, beautiful views mm. but pretty much nonstop rain. Um, to get us to uh, the portage at Pine Lake. And And do you remember stopping
2: at that little dock? And we thought, oh, Oh, "Oh, let's just find one little dry spot where we can stop and just maybe take our (laughs) shoes off and dry them out and warm up for a second. No, nothing was dry. We were sitting on
5: that dock and it was like kind of warped by the ice. Yes. And we were sitting on it and it was just, we had just enough Time to sort of jam some food down, but then you started getting cold. I mean, yeah. you really had to move on. Yeah. not a soul though the whole day. Not no. even at that dock that you mentioned. Yeah, because it was a
2: fishing access area, I believe, and there was, was a camping. road there mm-hmm. that you could actually McFarland, drive to. Yeah, yep. And just a note on the way we were hiking. I, for whatever reason, I was it walking in front and Allison was walking behind me however that is in no way in relation to our nicknames Hiker A and I don't think I mentioned mine was Hiker B so I just wanted to clarify that we have Hiker A and Hiker B which just uh nicely fits with our name Allison and Brenda. It just fits right in
5: yeah there was a lot of talking on this trip I mean I mentioned at the beginning that this is the first time I've through hiked with a chick and um I was amazed. I love that I'm a chick. <laughs> I am was amazed how much fun we had. That's kind of why we call it the No Boundaries Waters Trail, because, uh, yeah, there was a lot of shared insights into our lives. Yes.
2: <laughs> so this is the end of day three. Oh, the bear box failed. Epic. Couldn't get it open. Put no. stakes through it and eventually cut the top off with a knife. Set us back hours. Late start at 1035-ish. Only went about seven miles this day. First four to five miles were tough, up and down and bushwhacking. Better after Gogebic. All I wanted was a 100 feet of joy. <laughs> Please, just a 100 feet of joy. Rained a little, weather improved, and sun came out at campsite. Glorious. Had to walk across the beaver dam. So cool.
5: It was such a cool day. But yeah, we started at like 11 or something because we were... yes. Pushing all of our weight against the bear box, I think what we figured out happened is that the top, it you have to go over those two little pieces that kind of snap so that the bear can't get into it. But if you tighten it past that, it can like hit some plastic mm-hmm. and then create I it don't know felt vacuum locked.
2: Or... Yeah. Oh
5: my gosh.
2: But just you know, imagine that you're at this point. We were twenty-three miles or so away from any sort of access. To civilization, and you wake up, and all you want is your hot cup of coffee.
4: And all you
2: need is is your hot cup of coffee. And Allison so wonderfully got out of the tent to make that for us while I was still waking up. And I think I even
5: pumped water. You went and got
2: water. (laughs) So excited for that little cup of coffee. Nothing. No coffee, no food. And just now imagine you can see all your coffee and all your food right in front of you because it's a clear plastic container. But you you cannot have it. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple of tips
5: careful when tightening the bear box at all times. And you should have an escape plan always. I mean, we knew that we could get out. We'd be really crabby and have headaches, and it would be awful. But we could if we had to. Um, We didn't bring a multi-tool. A
2: multi-tool. Yep. So a conversation we had beforehand was, are you bringing a multi-tool? Oh, yeah. Are you bringing a multi-tool? Yes. And then we thought, oh, we only need to bring one. So (laughs) I brought my uh, dad's actually Swiss Army knife. And that, in the process of trying to pop the lid off the bear box, busted in half. And then in our second or third different type of attempt to get into the box, we ended up using just the tiniest, tiniest little blade on the knife and basically had to set it right on top of their bear box and with a rock just slowly... tap on it (laughs) until it poked through the plastic and then just went literally literally millimeter by millimeter until we cut a triangle out of the top. But then we actually had no bag with or anything to hang the bear food because we didn't think we were going to need that. And we couldn't leave that plastic there. I mean,
5: we had to carry out this destroyed bear box with everything in it you sort of cut your hand, like, reaching yes. in to get stuff out. <laughs> yeah. It was it was miserable. But, I mean, I think I have to say this because, you know, we're taping, right? I, I, I have to say, Brenda, you are so focused when there's <laughs> when there's a problem. I mean, I think I was like, because only one person could sort of tick on it. And I was sort of walking around and, like, neatening
2: things. I didn't know what to do with myself. That is funny. And, I, that is, in those moments, I do feel like that's when it all comes together for me. And I'm like, all right. I have a problem, and I'm going to solve it. We need to solve this. <laughs> yeah.
5: So we had this beautiful hike after that. It was so gorgeous. And mm-hmm. we did meet two people coming the other way, which yep. kind of shocked us. I mean, they seemed to be fairly happy, but they were wet, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and a little yep. miserable. But they told us about this site um, which has a 180 degree view on a rock at the far western end of Clear Lake. Mm-hmm. That was so brilliant. I mean, it's a it's a real boundary waters kind of site it because is. it had it had that you know, you're on that shelf, you have the view, you're right on the water. Um, I think we heard the loons, Mm -hmm. we had the sunset, we had the sunrise, Mm -hmm. um, basically soak up the sun (laughs) when it's out. I think we had a line out and we were hanging all of our clothes and they sort of blew in the breeze. Yes, the gators dried.
2: (laughs) I did attempt to make a a fire to dry some things out, but that (laughs) was a very sad attempt. (laughs) Indeed.
5: Thank goodness I brought the line and clips. Um, I almost didn't bring that because that line we ended up using to hang the food and yes. we, had, oh, we had those dry bags.
2: I had I, Yes, I had dry bags in my pack. I had everything kind of compartmentalized in my bag. So my clothes were in a dry bag. My sleeping bag was in a dry bag. And so that way it was great because then at the end of the day when you're tired, you just basically take out the bag with the items you need and everything's nice and dry oh, and packed yeah. in there. And it really made life easier to keep it organized that way. But it was also very handy when we had to end up <laughs> using that dry bag to hang food in a tree. So that was a great little backup plan. I love taking that
5: that uh, line because it's nice and um, light, and you can hang yeah. things on it. But we did break a piece of it while we were trying to hang things. So taking a rope is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Also, I take um, Crocs for my camp shoes. And there's a great picture of, of Hiker B um, trying to stick her socks, socked feet, into um, flip-flops t- flip flops, <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> with a little toe thing.
5: Worst camp shoes ever. Oh, and I have one more pro tip. Bring more whiskey.
2: Yes. <laughs> day two out of whiskey. Sad. Sad face. Um, But it was a beautiful campsite and we woke up to an absolutely, um, oh. probably one of the best sunrises I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely gorgeous. And hot coffee. And hot coffee. So this is the end of day three that I'm writing these notes here. Beautiful sunrise. Left at 7.30 a.m. Felt strong. Gorgeous overlooks over Rose Lake. Weird dude that warned us about the bears. Four dudes on a rock. Wind damage on our way to Partridge Lake. Ended up hiking into the dark to South Lake. Very overgrown, warm bullion, yum, bear box in dry bag, beautiful sunset, exclamation point.
5: Yeah, that was quite a day. We camped at South Lake, which actually was my original intention. And so I didn't check super carefully or I didn't like write the notes into my map and stuff where the... Um, closures were because <laughs> mm-hmm. I figured oh we're gonna make it there so the fact that we didn't go as far because of the bear box mm-hmm. we were like oh well let's just change plans and we'll go to Partridge lake mm-hmm.
2: well Partridge Lake was closed we didn't really realize even when we got to the spur trail yeah, there was no a sign there was a sign that said Partridge lake but it didn't say it was closed and by this point we had actually gone 15 miles and we were pretty tired and the, it was getting close to sunset so we were very relieved to be getting close to our campsite but as we were going to down this little spur trail it got smaller and smaller and smaller and then we were hiking going over down trees and under trees and around trees until we just absolutely ended up at an impassable place in the trail. I think the thing that was the
5: scariest about this is that you realize the sort of determination that you have. You're like, we'll get there. We can do this. It, mm-hmm. We still have light. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to that impassable place, mm-hmm. Hiker B was just like, you know, we really should turn around because we may not be able to get out of here. When we turned around, we could not see how we got in. There was no trail.
2: Basically, we were following other people's bushwhacking paths, where they also were trying to find this this campsite at Partridge Lake. And when we turned around, it was just kind of shocking how we really had no we idea how to get back to the Swallowed in, swallowed yeah. in.
5: So, I mean, the good news is that um, I took a compass, which just helped me determine like where the top of the, <laughs> the spur right. was. And which direction we needed to go back in. And I think that at that point, it was like we had to go over one, one fall.
2: Right. And then we kind of found the, the footpath again. and then, But then, the, then the, <laughs> crazy. the thing in front of us was basically we had two miles to go. And the sun was definitely setting at this point. Mm-hmm. Two miles to get to South Lake. Uh, and so we wanted to try and get absolutely as far as we could before having to use our headlamps. So we just went. We booked it. And we had
5: amazing views. The Rose Lake views are stunning. Yes. But then you have like more. You kind of come down to that Partridge Lake area and you go back up. Yes. And, and you're looking down at
2: South Lake, and you remember when we were on top, we could see that storm. It was like coming, coming at us. Yes, <laughs> so you could see way down the Voyager, Lakes. like you could see way off into the distance, and we could just see the storm coming, 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 coming straight for us. It's like take pictures, quick, quick, yeah. quick. <laughs> yes, so we got some good good video, even I think that we got screaming up there. in the yes. wind. But it was also a stark reminder to keep moving. So we did. We went. We kept going uh, as fast as we could, and it did start to get dark. We pulled out our headlamps, but we really didn't need our headlamps until we got to the spur trail to South Lake. And so at this point, we had gone 17 miles. And I remember thinking when we got to that spur trail, I looked over and I could see South Lake. And South Lake was way down the hill, so it's like, oh my goodness, what? <laughs> it was hundreds of feet
5: below us, and yes. it was all the spasmodic um, thimble thimbleberries. Berries,
2: yes, and there were campers there who were gracious enough to let us stay.
5: Super nice. Yep. I mean, prepare yourself to fall in love with uh, really nice people who have dogs who are lovely. Yes, you know, just a little pro tip about um, the Border Route Trail at this point is that. You pretty much can't stealth camp. Yes. It's too rocky, it's too wet, it's too steep. Um, I imagine you could find places somewhere, but the reason we had to like book it from partridge to uh to South Lake was that um, we just didn't see anything. It was uphill. Mm, yeah. It was you know. So I mean, I suppose you could have gone on that over like I don't know where you'd be in the wind, but mm-hmm. um, so you you got to know where the or where the um, campsites are and definitely use the website because there actually was. It's the next day. I don't want to give too much away. There's actually another site on Partridge Lake that would have been mm. a pretty pretty nice site, but pretty we didn't great. know. We thought yep. that could be closed too.
2: Yep. Just one other note from the end of that day when we got to finally got to our campsite and we were kind of too tired to do a lot of cooking. Hiker A was gracious enough to pull out her bullion and warm up some bullion for us. And that was the best bullion I've ever had in my life. (laughs) It's It's so so good. good. And also just uh, along the lines of food in general, Hiker A did an amazing job prior to the trip dehydrating all of our dinners. Yeah. which was wonderful.
5: <laughs> I kind of get into it. I like to stir fry food and um, and then just put it on the trays just as it is and, and uh, just dry it out and then um, pack it in vacuum seal and take them with and they just they work really really well um you you only have to boil them and then you kind of set them in a cozy mm-hmm. and they're ready pretty quick mm-hmm. that bouillon's really special i got it at the at the co-op oh, it's a savior yeah that was you really great because it's quick. like salty and it was yes, warm. warm it was everything you needed
2: yep so oats bars and coffee for breakfast tuna for lunch and amazing dehydrated meals for dinner <laughs> yeah it's good stuff so the next day friday south lake to Loon Lake. Took wrong turn to West Camp on Partridge. Extra two miles, hard. Beautiful through Ham Lake Fire Area. Sentinels, Thimbleberry, spasmodic, bushwhack, long, hard, and fast to catch sunset at Overlook Bridal Falls Trail. Angels, wooden bench on Loon Lake. Seeking Loon Lake campsite in the dark. Running. <laughs> I'd
5: have to say right here that if I haven't mentioned it yet, you've got to have walking sticks. Oh yes. I mean I've hiked all over the world and I use walking sticks I mean not just because of age but like you know to, to find your your balance and everything and actually the first time I um, realized I have to have them on a hike was on the superior hiking trail. Mm-hmm. It's not really like you're hiking up huge mountains but it's super steep when you're hiking mm-hmm. and you can really wipe out and they're
2: wet and muddy and rocky yeah. and and along those lines also you definitely want hiking boots with good ankle support.
5: Yeah. I wouldn't wear sneakers in there with all those rocks.
2: Yeah. And a lot of it, we couldn't actually see the trail very clearly at all because it was hidden by the spasmodic thimbleberries. So (laughs) a lot of it, you're just pushing forward without really seeing the actual ground. You can kind of tell where there's a trail through the woods, but you can't necessarily see all the rocks Mm -hmm. underneath the leaves.
5: So we were at the Ham Lake area. It's actually not Ham Lake. It's the Ham Lake fire area. Mm -hmm. destroyed a lot of uh, trees and you know there's there's some good things that come out of a situation like that it cleared the brush so you can see everything it was my favorite place to be
2: it was really beautiful it was very different than the rest of the trail and i have one picture of hiker a and she's kind of a little dot in this vast scenery and you can see the lakes just go on and on and on you can see down the whole chain of lakes it was just really beautiful
5: we loved coming through there we spent a lot of time but we couldn't find anywhere to stealth camp you probably could set your tent up maybe find a flat enough
2: spot Mm -hmm.
5: but you're super far from water in there
2: actually one favorite thing about that particular area for me were the colors Oh, yeah, I felt like they it's were fall. a little bit more subdued, very fall. yeah, I call it there's maroons and golds and mm-hmm. yeah
5: you use this term sentinels, and those were the big uh, trunks from left over from the fire and that were just kind of standing mm-hmm. there. Like yeah, guards. it was a really special place. Mm-hmm. So just a couple of tips. Bring lots of ziplocs. That was really smart of you to do that. You had some packing things, but yeah, um, I would true. definitely bring those, pack everything in little bags, yeah. kept everything dry. I have hiking mittens that I got that are made of event material. It's the same thing that they use rather than um, Gore-Tex. It's another kind of material like that for mm-hmm. um, for staying dry. Um, Bring a trowel in case the vault is crunched. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's coming up. Um, But enjoy every minute of it. That was a really, really pretty place. We Mm -hmm. um, tried to catch the sunset. Yes. That's what you mentioned. And that was, we were practically running.
2: Yeah. So we were trying to find a place to stealth camp because the next campsite was about, I believe it was about six miles yeah it was so really it was far. a long way so we we were while we were in the ham lake fire area we were thinking okay there's got to be a place in the next six miles but we definitely wanted to get further to try to keep ourselves on track so we started hiking and we just could not find anywhere could not find anywhere to pitch a tent we got to loon lake we found this beautiful little bench that we stopped and took a break <laughs> which we called one of our trail, trail angels. angels yeah and then we could see that coming up ahead were several overlooks so we were thought we thought oh we will tip lovely if we could get up to the overlook and pitch a tent there for the night so we started hiking to these overlooks and you could tell you could see through the trees that there was this magenta just beautiful amazing sunset happening and we got excited (laughs) (laughs) so we started we started going faster basically running uh for me it was absolutely amazing how we could move our bodies through the woods and over the trees and rocks and and be so fast when you mentally just were on task you know? Right, right. We were determined. We, we were just determined. It was just sheer determination.
5: And we found a lot of like there was a huge uh, tree that was like all across the trail. I mean, yeah. it was it was the long long ways in the yeah. trail. The only way to to walk the trail was to actually get on top of it. it yeah. That was that was incredible. And yeah. every time you would get to these overlooks, they actually weren't quite looking west. They were sort of looking yes. north.
2: They were like, no, they need to be further out. Yeah. So they were all kind of facing the wrong direction, and they really they were not even close to as open with a vista as the other overlooks we were at. And there was no place to pitch a tent. So every time we got to one, we actually weren't sure if we were at an overlook. And then we just kept pushing further. And it probably was about an hour and a half of chasing the sunset. Yeah. And uh, we... There wasn't any talking at that point. No, there was no talking. <laughs> it was just move. And we finally got to an overlook that was facing the right direction and we were actually pretty much at the end of Gunflint Lake. You could see the lodges and the resorts, the little lights on the lake and we caught just the very last glimpse. And uh, so there we stopped, we took a little break, we had a little bit of food, but then it was dark and we had to find... The campsite. Now now we were close enough. We thought, okay, we need to push forward and just find this campsite, which probably, we were probably about a mile to two miles out from it.
5: Yeah. Um, and it was a little weird in there because mm-hmm. the trails got kind of strange because there were so many more
2: ski trails. There was all the cross-country ski trails, which made it confusing because, you know, we've been on this tiny little foot trail and now suddenly we're dealing with wide trails mm-hmm. and we're not really sure what's what. And it's dark.
5: And it was kind of raining a little tiny kind of nasty, bit. Yep. Yeah. And we're
2: tired, <laughs> you know. So we did make it to Loon Lake. Uh, We did find that fairly easy. I think we ended up actually kind of walking down the road a little bit to get there. And then it took us a while to actually still find the campsite. We thought we'd passed it. Right. We went back. And then
5: we were like, no, we haven't gone far far enough.
2: enough. Yes. But it
5: turned out to be beautiful. It was another kind of boundary waters, perfect ledge. It was gorgeous.
2: Yep. And so that is where we spent our last night. And we woke up to another really wonderful sunrise.
5: Saw a wolf track.
2: Yep, we saw wolf tracks. We and this is where the latrine had been crushed by a tree. <laughs> but you remember the it's next not... day, the
5: the kids came to clean up and yeah, and we were like, oh my gosh! All of a sudden, we saw like yeah. twenty five kids. Were they from the U of M? Yeah, I think so. Okay,
2: yeah, and we great. said,
5: oh, there's a latrine crushed in there, and they all looked, They all kind of perked up. They're excited. We've got some work to do.
2: <laughs> Bring out the yep. saws. So then at this point, we had about eight miles left, and man, it felt like clear sailing. It was all big oh. wide. Cross country ski trails. Sunny
5: skies. Sunny
2: skies. We were hiking along. I one thing that was a little bit um unnerving on that last day is it was hunting season. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I brought an orange cap. <laughs> right. And so there were, you know, there were people out hunting and which which is completely fine. It just we wanted to make sure that we were visible. Where we were. And so we had to pull the, all our orange and tied it onto us and just talked really loud. <laughs> we got to Magnetic Rock and it was kind of funny because we were just talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden I turned around and there was this huge <laughs> rock. And it was like, holy beep. <laughs> where are Lots we? of bleeped out words. Here. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but very joyous because it basically meant we were at the end of the trail. And then suddenly we realized, oh, there is. 10 people standing right here all looking at us. It was pretty funny.
5: Yeah, they were so nice and they were they were sort of shocked by what we had done. We said how far we'd walked. And they, yeah. well, they sort of thought you just walked like today.
2: Yes, because they just had walked a mile up from the parking lot. So they figured, oh, you just came from the other side. And we're like, yes, 67 miles or something from the other side. And we were a little loopy by this point. Oh, and yeah. We were kind
5: of. Oh, yeah. I think there's a video of us taking uh, my compass and putting it against the magnetic rock. It is indeed yeah. a magnetic rock yes. spinning and spinning. Yes. But it was really fun because they kind of, we, we, we were sort of following them out and they were mm-hmm. ahead of us and then behind us. And
2: mm-hmm. when we finally
5: got out, they applauded yeah, at the parking that was, lot.
2: That was pretty wonderful. I had a little tear in my eye. I was pretty happy mm-hmm. to have done it and done the first thru-hike. And it's it was a
5: success. Super cool. It's shortish thru-hike, but it has every single element of a multi-week hike. I mean, we had some problems. You had to make sure you had enough food. You had the... You know, the factor of being um, really remote and having to figure out all the things you need to do to get there and be picked up at the end and mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, friends really make it better. I really loved our talks. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, just a couple of um, notes. I have the, you know, you know, the 10 essentials of the stuff you should always carry. I kind of put them in a little um, game so I could remember them. I don't know if it really works. But um, you have to have habitation with you, which means you got to have something like a tent or, or a bivy or something to, you know, sleep in and protect you from the elements. You have to have insulation. you got to have clothes to wear to stay dry, to stay warm. Uh, This is even on a day hike, right? You should have something to make sure that you can uh, keep your heat inside. Nutrition, you got to have food. Hydration, some way to get the water. Whether you take pills or a pump or something uh, to keep it clean, I would not ever uh, depend on being able to boil your water. It just takes too long to get any of the microbes out. Um, navigation. We took uh, maps and a compass and my Garmin. It's kind of a lot, little overkill, but we needed all of them. Uh, Reparation, some way to repair things if they get damaged or ripped or or broken. Uh, Medication, you know, in case you get diarrhea, headache, whatever. Protection from the sun, hat, illumination, light, and incineration, a way to make fire. So those are the 10 essentials. And a lot of people have asked us, like, how much do your, does your pack weigh? Of course, you weigh out. Uh, no pun intended. Pun is intended. You weigh out, like, how much you want to spend if you want to get hyperlight or ultralight. It's very, very expensive to do that. I have some things that are and some things that are not. My water pump is not hyper light. Um, But it's always worked for me, like, for 25 years, mm. maybe more than that. So I just have – I haven't replaced it. Um so I try to keep my packed weight, which doesn't include water or food, below 20 pounds. And then um, depends on if you're taking that big bear box full mm, of yes. full of cheese yeah. and Which takes stuff. up a lot of space. Takes up a lot of space, takes up a, a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we are pretty light. We are definitely mm-hmm. below 30 pounds, for mm-hmm.
2: sure. Do you remember that pack I had with the straps on the side? This is something to watch for when you're buying bags. I had a bag that instead of it having buckles that latched on the side, it had straps that I was not able oh, yeah. to undo. So anytime I'd put my sleeping pad or anything on the side of my bag, I had to kind of shove it in there. I wasn't able to just strap or it I on. Or I shoved it in there. Or you had behind. to shove it. Yeah, yeah, if I had to get anything out. or It was kind of a pain, actually. So yeah. that's definitely something to watch for with
5: the yeah. packs. Yeah, I mean, some people say that backpacking is just pain control, right? You're, <laughs> yeah. you're just trying to find the thing that that, that feels the most comfortable. Maybe not comfortable, yeah. but somewhat uh, is going to work for the whole trip and carry everything you need. Oh, you remember we also got um, more carabiners that we put on the back of the packs. Oh, that was really helpful to hang things
2: off the back. We kept trying to dry things by hanging them off the back. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? Overall, it was a really great trip. You know, we had problems. We dealt with them. We carried on. We pushed forward, and we made it to the end, and I'm really proud of what we did. Yeah, me too.
5: It was a great trip. Hey, you want to do another one?
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a different trail, but definitely, definitely again. Okay, cool.
4: By wood smoking oranges, path of old canoe, I would course the inland ocean to be back to you. No matter where I go to, it's always home again. To the rugged northern shore and the days of sun and wind. In the land of the silver birch, cry of the moon. There's something about this country, it's a part of the you.
0: And a thank you to Brenda and Allison for their stories about hiking the entire border route trail, the entire thing, Matthew.
3: Epic. <laughs> it is epic. And inspiring. Yeah, and
0: a, and they did a great job of uh, sharing their stories and, um, uh, Really appreciative to them for contributing to the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Uh, Really enjoyed that story. And what's coming up in the rest of the episode here, next part?
3: Well, last episode, people got to hear our experience winter camping in the Boundary Waters. You and I, Joe, uh, we described that. Well, as you know, we thought it would be nice to hear from an expert on this subject, and somewhat of a historian, even. So we're about to hear from Dwayne Lodig, who, along with his wife Margo, have been crafting their own canvas wall tents found in use from the BWCA to the Arctic regions of Scandinavia.
0: Wait, uh, are you talking the snow trekker tent that we used in episode two where we went into Winchell Lake? One and the same. Nice. Uh, the, the same trip where it was 31 below zero
3: when we started? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Still remember Oh, I remember, remember that trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it, you know, it turns out that these, ge- these folks are avid canoeists and winter enthusiasts. So the perfect people to, uh, to share a seasoned life experience with us. So we're about to pick up uh, the conversation as Dwayne discusses the uniqueness of winter camping. So let's join him.
6: It's a really great time of year to be in the Boundary Waters. I think it's almost, you almost get more sense of a... Of a wilderness in the winter time than than you do in warm weather there's a beauty to it in the silence and the cold of the winter that you know is not there in the summertime in my opinion you know and I'm am also a, a
3: canoeist Dwayne Joe and I took the Snow Trekker heated wall tent out and it was my first winter experience and I think you nailed the description Sometimes in the Boundary Waters in the summer, you, know, you, see, you can see a lot of other people at times, and it can feel kind of like a popular place, and that doesn't hold true for the winter.
6: No, nope. there's actually a lot of people in the Boundary Waters now. This whole hot tent or traditional winter camping has really developed over the last 20 years. 22 years, when, when we started doing this and started making tents and selling them over 20 years ago, we literally had to market the concept and the activity before we could ever sell a tent. And in the early days, basically every customer I had for a tent, I had extensive personal contact with them, either by phone or in person or, or in, and multiple times. And now people just call up and random calls and order tents, you know. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it's a growing activity. I call it a, a new old activity. And and when people uh, get involved in it, I, I can honestly say that, that by and large, people say that the wintertime becomes their favorite time of the year to camp, and you know, it's just so enjoyable. I, I often call this hot tent camping and the, 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 the uh, winter tent experience. Is, it's not really winter camping. It's, it's not really camping. It, it's living outdoors in the wintertime because you add that heated tent element to the equation You know, it's sustainable. If you had supplies, et cetera, I mean, you can stay out there indefinitely, where with the cold camping model, there's a degradation of both you and your equipment day by day, you know, with moisture buildup, et cetera, you know, that is not part of the heated tent experience. You know, and it's just fun to be out in a tent on a cold, clear night when it's 30 below zero and you can hear trees popping, and uh, you're sitting snug with friends in a uh, illuminated tent uh, at 65 70 degrees.
3: mm-hmm. And that's the real distinction that you laid out that it's actually not winter camping. it's hot tent camping. and, yep. that, and that's I think that's an important distinction that it's almost like you have a portable uh, cabin.
6: It is And you know people do it in different, Modes with some doing it the minimalist route of, you know, the heated structure, but minimalist. And many people go into the Boundary Waters and do it in a base camp mode where they'll pull into a location, set up that camp as a base of operation, so to speak. And then day trip, whether it's fishing or skiing or snowshoeing, from that position, uh, location, but they come back to that same location. Mm -hmm. So they, they don't down camp every day and reset camp like people do that are, are kind of using the, uh, canoe tripping model, you know, where Mm -hmm. you set a camp, you tear it down, you travel by snowshoe for the day, you set up a new camp next morning, you tear it down, pack up, travel by snowshoe for the day. And, make a route like you do canoeing where some people will just base camp and generally speaking when people base camp they will pack a little bit heavier and pack a little more luxurious for you know the creature comforts of camp maybe including cots into the mix and a little bit larger tent and you know even some camp chairs or something just to make life a little more luxurious
3: one stark thing that stuck out to me was the the contrast between the winter elements outside of the tent and the warmth and comfort inside the tent. I wonder if you can speak to your experience of that.
6: It's amazing that a layer of fabric less than a sixteenth of an inch thick can make the difference between 70 degrees inside the tent and 30 below outside the tent you know and it's just a matter of having a stove that has enough btu power to to overcome that and there's different size stoves and there are trail stoves and they're still depending on money you want to spend you can, you can buy titanium stoves that are ultra light or sheet steel stoves when you're out there in that kind of weather. In a remote location, as you said before, it's almost like a portable cabin. You, you really feel like you have a home. You know, you have added that element that we need, that warm habitat. And as I said before, it doesn't feel like camping, and it's just thoroughly enjoyable. And there's a, a feeling of security and well-being in that
3: format. Exactly. And I really like this idea of it's just a thin layer of fabric, but it's so much more than that. Yep, yep. You don't know what that means until you get out and do it.
6: Yep. And people won't believe that, you know, you tell them that, oh, yeah, sure, sure, and they walk in a heated tent and they go, oh, you know, (laughs) It's like uh, they can't hardly believe it. We just had it's a yearly yearly thing that got we started years ago, and now a, a friend of ours, Rhonda Reynolds, has continued to keep it going. It's a uh, winter camping rendezvous that uh, we have down here at a, a county park in uh, northern Wisconsin every winter. We get we had 21 tents there this past weekend, and there were people that had come in from uh, Indiana and Iowa, and obviously Minnesota, Wisconsin. There might even be some people there from Illinois, but people come back every year, and there are friendships established around this activity. I mean, it's conducive to uh, friendship and relationships, and and it's it's hard to explain. It's just It's just a different experience.
3: You know, and I think that's something that anybody who has experienced the boundary waters on a trip, no matter the time of year, understands that sense of camaraderie and community. Yep. You know, and anybody listening to this podcast is going to understand that, too, because those of us that love, you know, the wilderness and we share these, passions we make up our own sort of extended community you know the the same way that it brought you and i together for this interview um there's something really tangible about that that people who haven't had those experiences don't understand
6: yes yes and and i would add one thing more and and i feel i can say this from a, a a point of of knowledge because over the years wife, Margo, myself, and then my young boys and stuff. Now they're all grown, but we've traveled literally hundreds and hundreds of miles by canoe. That that camaraderie aspect is amplified in this cold camping aspect because I think being brought together inside the, the space of that heated tent puts an added intimacy and closeness to the group that, uh, I don't know, that's different, if you know what I mean.
3: I know exactly what you mean, Dwayne. That's something that, you know, since you are so experienced from that standpoint, what would be your advice for uh, people who are thinking, you know they're going to listen to this, and maybe the you know maybe we'll sell them on the idea that this is an amazing added intimacy experience. Maybe they want to go with the family. Uh, maybe they want to you know father son, mother daughter sort of thing. How should they go about planning something like this?
6: Well, if my recommendations is if they know anybody does this, see if they can would take them out or even just. Set the tent up out in their, you know, get a tent, set it up out in their backyard if they're a family. And, you know, just camp out in the backyard. You get the still, you get the same sense out in your backyard, you know, of of staying in a heated tent. And that's even fun. Try something like that. There's several businesses that cater to the Boundary Waters that rent our tents and the gear to go out. Um, and people can start by trying to rent some gear. There's books available on the activity if people don't have any knowledge that uh, they can get a hold of. There's a new one out called Winter Camping by a, a Canadian by the name of Kevin Callen who's called the Happy Camper up in <laughs> Canada East. Yeah, it's called Winter Camping, and Mm -hmm. it just came out this fall, and there's an old one that I think you can still get in print by one of the people that started the movement to this type of camping, a a gentleman by the name of Garrett Conover from uh, Maine. He was a Maine guide, and he and his former wife wrote a book 20-some years ago called Snow Walker's Companion which is a classic, and those two books are a great help. Also, for a learning aspect, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but this coming year will be the 20th anniversary. It's called the Winter Camping Midwest Winter Camping Symposium. Myself and another business, we started it. And it's always the last weekend in October. And last year, there was over 200 and forty attendees I think and probably at seventy to a hundred tenths and they draw people from last year there were people from British Columbia, Alberta. We had a gentleman that there was there for the second time from Japan and he's coming back again this year. That's the furthest anybody's come, but it's a great place. It's it's a weekend filled with workshops and presenters and dialoguing with uh people that are involved that's one of the, in the activity that's one of the greatest things there because everybody comes up with their little trick or what they do and so you can just pick up all these little nuances that systems that people have developed it's a really place to gain knowledge and talk to people and learn about the activity if somebody's interested
3: there's these opportunities to attend these events Uh, to learn. And there's plenty of resources out there that you named. All those things are available to people who want to maybe visit the Boundary Waters in this new way that you've been telling us about today.
6: Yep. And, you know, I would imagine there's even people out there that are doing a little bit of guiding. I know there's a, a woman's outdoor adventure business that Guides women and out of Ely in doing this activity, and mm-hmm. and you know there there's people out there that would help people get started if if they don't have any experience with something like this, and it tends to be a a group of really friendly, nice people that love sharing what they love to do.
3: Dwayne, you said you had another story about the Boundary Waters. I think it'd be nice to hear that.
6: One year we w- we were out on a trip, and it, it just struck me, and it, it was getting into spring, and it got very warm, there was very little, if any, snow left on the ice, we were actually pulling toboggans through, you know, a couple inches of water a lot of time, but most of the uh, campsites were melted off bare ground, you know, it was still cool, you know, we still use the tent. But it, it just felt like I was on a canoe trip, you know, when, we, when, you, you, when you brought the toboggans up to uh, shore, you were pulling up on the rocks and stuff, it wasn't <laughs> snow, and the campsites, other than, you know, being brown, you know, not green, the campsites looked like, you know, a summer campsite, so you, <laughs> it, it was kind of a dejuve, you, you were on a winter c- uh, camping trip with, uh, with a toboggan, but it, it felt like a canoe trip because of the uh, weather and the, the snow cover. Um, uh,
3: almost a confusion of the senses.
6: Yeah, And <laughs> I, I've been out on a lake also in the, in the dead of winter, but little snow. And we had terrifically high winds. And we actually had pictures that we were walking behind the toboggans holding them back and the wind was just pushing the toboggans down the lake. So you, you can experience uh, many things out there. And, you know, we have the, the ones of, you know, seeing wolf across lake and stuff, of course, and that's always Mm -hmm. fantastic. And, and meeting people on the trail, you know, and in the day when there was very few people on the trail and you still, I talk to people, there's lots of people out and I say, well, did you see many people? And, not really, you know, so there's a lot of people doing it, but there's also a sense of isolation out there now that you're not going to get in the uh, the summer season.
3: Mm-hmm. Dwayne, I'm so grateful that to have your experiences and your stories and your advice for this uh, episode of the podcast and want to make sure everybody knows that if they would like to uh, learn more about anything that you talked about today that they can find you by simply going to your website.
6: Yes, they can they can search us out on our on our our webpage uh, Snow Trekker tents. If they just google Snow Trekker tents, they'll find us. And they're more than welcome to call me and contact me with with questions or if they want to chat. I'm 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 more than happy to visit with people. We're on Facebook and Instagram, lots of People share pictures and and brief stories of of camping trips. And if if you start Googling this activity, there's just a wealth of YouTube videos and stuff out there on YouTube. And I just tell people if they haven't liked winter because of the cold to try getting out, it'll change their mind. Or if they do like the winter, this will be an activity that they love.
3: Well, I think that wraps it up really well. Um, I'd really like to thank you, Dwayne Lodig, for your participation. Snow Trekker Tents out of Salon Springs, Wisconsin. Thank you very much, Matthew.
0: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Snow Trekker Tents,
3: Matthew. What do you think? Well, it's really nice to be reminded by Dwayne that it's just a thin layer of fabric that can separate the warm comfort of the inside of your tent from the frigid, death-inducing cold of the winter.
0: Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And uh, we found out, uh, tested the product in the harshest of conditions, Indeed. no doubt, in January uh, on Windchill Lake up the Gunflint Trail in the it kind of depends on how you look at it. It's sandwiched in there between Brule and Poplar, one of those lakes deep in the boundary waters. So uh, Snow Tracker Tents, that's uh, outstanding uh, information provided just about winter camping and, and about the product itself and, and uh, hot tents and this kind of a, I don't know if you'd say it's a trend because it goes back a ways too. you. I mean, it's not something that just popped up here in the last couple of years, you know. Well,
3: it's like Dwayne said, it's a new old form of camping. Yeah. Well, I think that just about
0: does it for Episode 3 here on the Boundary Waters Podcast. We want to make sure and say thanks to Brenda and Allison for their story about the Border Route Trail and their accomplishment hiking the entire 65-mile Border Route Trail in 2017. And of course, we want to thank Dwayne and Snow Trekker Tents and and your interview there, Matthew. And we also want to thank our sponsor today, Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters, located up the Gunflint Trail. I think that just about does episode three, WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm Joe Fredericks.
3: And I'm Matthew Baxley. Thank you for joining us.
0: See you next time. See you next time.
3: Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast. And all of you have sent us emails and given us feedback. You can get updates on the podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes. Or you can also find us on SoundCloud or the WTIP website. We really couldn't make this happen without you. And for that, we are so grateful.
4: We'll see you next time. I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar rule me, rock